listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. And Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, before we get into it, let's get something to drink. Today we're cracking open something that I brought here to this podcast. It's from Northern California. I just took a trip up there. Uh, this is from a place called Hen House Brewing Company. I'm really excited to show you and have you crack into this. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Ooh. Smooth. That's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've never had anything from Hen House, so yeah. I'm always excited for something new. Um, this is a, this is a, a little bit of an audible here. We were going to do a sour, but now we're yeah. switching it up to an IPA. So the whole reason for this is that on the can specifically, they say drink this within 21 days. And I was talking to the guy at the bottle shop where I picked this up, uh, in Fremont, California, uh, found him on the map page, verified venue. So <laughs> quick, sh- quick shout out to, to where the I discover got screen. That. That's right. Discover map <laughs> found it. Um, so I was talking to the the guy who was at the bottle shop, and he said that they get one case of Hen House IPA and one case of their seasonal Hen House. And if they sell through one of those, they get up to their next tier of uh, of Hen House through their distributor. So I wanted to make sure that the, I got I got what four of these. Okay. Um, All right. So it's. 16 ounces. Uh, it's the Hen House IPA. It's uh, saying here it is a 6.9%, and they're very clear. Check the date. They want to make sure you get this fresh, apparently. Oh, wait, even on the side here. Yep. Please check the date on the bottom of the can. They are dedicated to the freshness of this thing. Yeah. And I, I think you can smell it right when you open the can. It's It's just got that kind of... It doesn't, I mean, as much as, as Hen House makes you think like, man, this is going to be just like a, a farmy kind of funky smelling, uh, like Belgian-y type beer. It's not any of those things. No. And you, you, I think you were mentioning earlier that it is a West Coast. Yeah. I haven't had many West Coasts as of late. And I think, uh, um, we're, we've been too busy on the haze train here. Getting me, getting me back into that, that old kind of, you know, classic craft beer IPA taste. Uh, we covered that last time in episode one. So if you haven't listened to episode one, go back, check that one out. We talked about IPAs and, and kind of some of the history around the IPA. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to uh, to get into this. <laughs> they actually call it an incredible pale ale, not an India pale ale. So that's oh, did I miss? That's pretty I clever. Misread that. Pretty I clever. just went for it. So we're gonna sm- we're gonna smell it here real quick. Oh, off mic. Yeah, I don't. They, I'm the, don't smell. Don't smell it right into the microphone. <laughs> pretty bold. Hen House IPA is the dankness. I'm not even kidding. I'm reading it right here. <laughs> yep. This these cans are perishable. And expires in 21 days. Do not save. Drink now. Now, that's that's one of those problems that, that you and I probably both have with these can releases is that they just kind of sit around and around and around. And oh, yeah. We you, don't get to them. We don't go through them fast enough. Too many. Too many. Too many. Don't look in the fridge. Please don't check the can dates. <laughs> have you had this one? Let us know your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by tagging us using at untapped. All right, let's get into some of our community updates and uh, some of the recent additions to the Untapped app. Uh, we recently released Untapped 3.2.2 on Android and iOS. So you ha- if you haven't upgraded, 
go ahead and go to the App Store and Google Play and hit that update button and get the latest. What's some of the more recent additions that we've added, Tim? So the first thing up are some upgrades to the menus for our verified venues. Um, we've added, we've, we did a little bit of cleanup in there. Um, basically segmenting out the sections and the menus a bit better so that you can read them easier. And then we also added uh, the ability to share to specific menus. So that way, if you see uh, a section in there or a menu uh, that you want to share with a friend, um, we have a nice easy share link uh, directly available right in the menu. So what you do is you'd go to a uh, verified, what we call verified venues. They're venues that have the little yellow check mark on them. You'll tap there and you can tap the menu button on that page to see all of the menus, either bottle lists or draft lists, whatever that location has. Uh, on the far right hand side on both iOS and Android, there will be a share button and that allows you to either share all of the menus at once or you can share just each of the menu sections. I really like the way that that these new menus look personally. I think it it segments them out in a way that looks more similar to what you would expect at a brewery or a taproom or whatever. Getting one of the paper menus, it, it, they kind of more closely align, I think. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier now to tell the difference between the sections. Um, makes it a lot clearer yeah. um, and nice and clean. Yeah. yeah, if you're also on one of those verified venue pages, you can uh, now share those pages either to social media or with friends through messages. Uh, the more button on the top right hand corner is going to have that that share button right there. So you can do that on any of our venue pages now. While we're on the subject of verified venues, uh, in addition on those pages, uh, some venues you will notice have something called a local badge. Uh, this badge is something that is specific to that venue that you can unlock by checking in at that venue. These are similar to our core badges, but very specific to those locations. Right. So to earn the first badge, let's say a first local badge at a verified venue, you just have to have one. And then the more beers that you have at that particular venue, you'll level up your local badge. It's a really cool way to kind of show your loyalty at a particular verified venue. In addition to these updates to the verified venues, we've also added some new benefits for our untapped supporters. These are users who have uh, subscribed to our supporter program uh, and received some extra benefits. These new benefits include additional characters for your check-in comments. The limit here has been raised from 140 to 255, so those who have more to say can have more room. Uh, another one is the ability to export your lists on our untapped website. So you'll navigate over to your profile, go down into your lists, and um, you will be able to export them out to a JSON or CSV file. Yeah, this works the same way that um, your beer list, your beer history works. So you've been able to export those into a JSON or CSV file as a supporter, uh, and now that has been extended to lists. If you're interested in becoming an untapped supporter, you can go to untapped.com slash supporter and uh, sign up for as little as five bucks a month, which is pretty cool. Yep, for the price of less than less than most of the beers we buy. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. In, in addition to, the, uh, to these new uh, benefits that we've just listed, you will also receive a supporter-only badge. You will be called out as a supporter within the app with a nice little yellow flag around your avatar. Uh, additionally, you will get um, the export uh, feature, which, as Kyle just mentioned, will work on your um, beer lists as well, your history and your list. And then you'll also get the access to some personalized stats, which are quite interesting. I really think they are. Um, I've been using the statistics feature to be able to see what I've had in the last year on atap.com. Um, and it's a, a nice way to kind of round out and see, you know, hey, what did my year in beer look like? Um, if you've ever been curious about what that little yellow tag is around a user's profile image or around their name um, on the app, that is what that is. So remember, you go to untapped.com supporter to sign up. 
We'll include a link to the full list of updates, features, and fixes in our 3.2.2 release in our show notes, so be sure to check that out. And again, be sure to upgrade today. Taking a look at some of our upcoming sponsored badges, we have a brand new one from our friends at Founders Brewing. This badge is called Challenging What a Premium Lager Can Be. This one is available for checking into One Solid Gold, which is a brand new beer from Founders uh, during the month of March. Solid Gold is a drinkable premium lager. It's uh, 4.4% ABV, uh, and it's brewed only with the highest quality ingredients. So their goal here is to change your perception of what a premium lager is. I'm excited to earn this one. It sounds sounds pretty good. Yeah. A smooth, low ABV beer. I'm always looking for a good lager, too. I, I think it's it's difficult to find one, especially in California, being saturated. I mean, we're having an IPA right now, but being saturated in hops here. Um, brewing a lager, I know, is pretty difficult. Uh, and so I'm excited to try, try this one from Founders. I haven't had this one before. Stay up to date with our badge releases by following us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And be sure to check out our blog, which is at blog.untapped.com. We list all our badge releases there. You can also get these updates in the Untapped app. If you tap the notifications tab on the bottom, and tap on news on the far right hand side there you can see a list of all of the badges and news from our blog all right let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's feature beer style here's tim with more this week we're going to take a look at the salty sour goodness that is the goza goza what's your what's your feel on this one I, I really like Gozas. I've had uh, I've had a couple of really good ones recently. Uh, Grim made made one that was pretty good, um, and I know Noble Aleworks makes one locally here in Orange County. Uh, it's called Goza Busters, which is pretty good. Oh, I've seen that can and I've wanted it. There are there are a lot of puns around the Goza name, some of which are pronounced Goz, some are pronounced Goza. I think it really depends on what the pun is, but uh, but I'm I'm really interested to know more. Yeah, this this style surprisingly, um, it, it's like one of the hardest ones I think to describe and actually sell on someone. You can sell sour, you can sell hoppy. It's hard to sell salty. <laughs> True. That's like that's one of those things that people just don't really grasp onto as being a positive thing when they're drinking. Yes. Um, but I, I, I agree. I, the, the combination is so great. Um, it, surprisingly, this is a style that is lucky to still be in existence. It's disappeared more than once in its lifetime. Interesting. When, when, did it, when was it first introduced? Gozo was first brewed in the early 16th century near the town of Gosol, hence the name. Um, and it was very regionally isolated. It was very popular only in its area and for that reason, very few breweries actually made it. Um, it eventually became very popular in the German town of Leipzig, which was uh, one of the larger cities um, at the time. And then uh, many breweries eventually started producing it. But again, it was very regionally um, isolated to that area. It, it, it doesn't sound like it would travel well either. It, it would probably over-ferment or it would, it would probably get way too funky in, that, in the process. That is definitely possible. Being that um, Goza was a spontaneously fermented um, ale, uh, basically using the wild yeast that was found in the air or in the barrels that it was stored in, um, I can imagine that it probably didn't travel so well. Right. Um, but eventually the brewers discovered that they could achieve the same spontaneous and wild results um, by top fermenting with yeast and adding lactic acid and um, doing a lot of the similar techniques that we see in sours and wild ales today. Got it. After the outbreak of uh, World War II, many of the breweries shut down and eventually the last brewery producing Goza was um, 
was shut down. Um, and at this point, the style pretty much disappeared. Um, being so isolated in its region um, and with the closing of most of the breweries, uh, there was just no one left to produce it. In 1949, a man who had actually worked at the last brewery that produced Goza before the shutdown um, during the outbreak of World War II started brewing it once again in Leipzig. He eventually passed the recipes and techniques down to his stepson, who continued to brew the Goza until his death in 1966. And then at that point, the beer disappeared once again. Wow. So it was a, a family affair, basically. Something that was started by this person who had once worked at the brewery and now tried to pass it on and it just didn't go anywhere from didn't there. Didn't go any further than that. Wow. Uh, so then it came back in the 1980s when a gentleman began restoring a, one of the classic Leipzig taverns. Um, he decided to try and recreate the Goza style. Uh, he talked to a lot of local figures, um, just people to try and figure out the exact characteristics of what a Goza was. Because obviously at this point, it was just trying to figure out how it was made because those who had the recipe were at this point no longer around. Um, he tried to search for a local brewery to uh, make it, but at the time, no one was interested. In 1986, he found a small brewery that agreed to try brewing this Goza style again, and it was once again available. After disappearing yet again in 1988, the Goza finally found its popularity. Um, the style continues to be brewed outside of Germany, as we are well aware, and has kind of gained in popularity, especially when I can find it on the shelves of my local supermarket. Yeah, absolutely. It's being brewed by pretty much everyone, too. It seems like one of those that if you're getting into sort of the wild fermented ales, it's it's one of those that kind of everyone is, is going to try. They'll be willing to try it, at least. Definitely. I mean, if you get a taste of those wild and sour ales, this is like a next step. It is, and, and even if you aren't real keen on sour ales, a Goza seems like a, a beer in a sort of different arena. It's It doesn't have such a, a tart, like, puckery power to it. it. It's more of a balanced sour wild ale, I would say. Yeah, definitely. These, the saltiness helps kind of give it a different depth and a different character. So, okay, here's my question. Why hasn't it disappeared since 1988? Is it the craft beer, like, revolution? Is it finding more people who now like the style? Is there something about, I guess, it coming out of Germany now that it just won't go away? Or I, I would venture to guess that the timing lines up um, similar to last week's episode when we covered the history of the India Pale Ale. Um, in the 80s, uh, when homebrewing and craft breweries kind of started taking off, um, you know, the styles from Europe were adopted in the United States and those craft breweries started producing those different styles at a higher rate. Um, I, would, I would venture to guess it's along that same timeline. So these breweries kind of got a hold of the style and just started going, going wild. Yeah. <laughs> going oh, no. wild no. ale. No, no. <laughs> All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. First up on the list, we have From Ocean to Potion, Kelp Finds a Niche in the Craft Beer Market. This article is coming to us from npr.org and is quite interesting. Now, hold on. This isn't Goza, right? I know the ocean is salty, but not like Goza salty. So we'll, we'll get to that as we get into it, but it does have an interesting connection there. Okay. You're right. All right. Uh, so I I missed the memo, but apparently kelp is the new kale. Have you have you heard about this? Kelp, as in like the long stringy stuff that 
kind of gets stuck on your feet as you as you walk into the ocean, or what what kind of kelp are we talking about I, we here? We're we're talking that kelp. Um, I I've seen you know seen it all over the place, dehydrated. I've seen it around. Kelp salad seems to be. Okay. Something that's making arounds, maybe but... maybe like the the dry kelp when there you make go, a, yeah. a Japanese dashi. There we go. Okay, so I I'm just asking because this article opens with that statement, and I have not heard that one yet in the food trends. <laughs> the words are very similar. Yes. I, I think that's the that's part of the point. All right, so let's get to the point here. Uh, this article basically goes into discussion about a new beer that is coming from Portsmouth Brewing, uh, which is called Selkie. I, I almost want this to be a playoff of selfie, but unfortunately, it is Stop. not. Get a selkie. <laughs> well played. <laughs> as perfect as that was, it's actually uh, named after a mythological creature that uh, can shed its skin and take human form. Okay. Intr- I, uh, this, is, this is all new to me. I, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, so the owner of Portsmouth Brewing ended up uh, going on a trip to Scotland and uh, had a beer that was known as Kelpie. So you can see some influence going on in here. Okay. And she really enjoyed it. Um, this beer was made with a bladder rack seaweed, um, I guess a specific kind that is found over in Scotland. In Scotland, yeah, that uh, makes sense. So like like local local uh, flavors, local uh, produce being added to beer. That's that's a pretty <laughs> typical thing for for beers, right? It's a she enjoyed this beer so much that after a while she decided that she really wanted to try brewing it at their brewery. So after taking some time to convince their head brewer, they finally took on the challenge. Um, the the brewer uh, basically had the same sort of thought that you did at the beginning of this that. Any beer that's going to be brewed with seaweed is just going to be this salty, briny mess. And how are you going to balance that out to be something that people actually want to enjoy and drink? <laughs> Without it literally tasting like seawater when you pour it out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so so after doing some thoughts, or so after doing some uh, research and just thinking through how they were going to accomplish this, um, they actually came in contact with someone who was a marine aquatecture specialist from the University of New Hampshire. Um, this uh, segment of the university... They actually had sustained environments where they grew different types of kelp and they had uh, mussels and fish inside of these little environments. Wow. So basically it was this entirely enclosed ecosystem um, where the fish uh, would eat whatever food they had and then their excrement uh, nutrients uh, were taken in by the mussels and then the kelp. The whole filter feeder system. Exactly. like Like a little mini ecosystem. Would that be technically hydroponics? Because of all the water, I can't answer that. <laughs> okay, all right. Because <laughs> you're far, you're farming with water, just a lot of it. Exactly. So, so one of the um, specific kelps that they w- were growing there was the sugar kelp, and they ended up harvesting oh, a bunch of this, taking it back to the brewery, cleaning it off, and um, actually throwing it into the brewing process. After using the sugar kelp, the uh, the beer that they ended up coming up with, uh, it, it ended up actually being very balanced. Um, it was smooth. Um, it had a malty sweetness to it. Um, and then as you would expect the kind of the briny saltiness of the seaweed and the whole ocean, um, feel was actually kind of left lingering on the lips. That's really interesting. So it looks like, like sweet kelp is native to the Irish, uh, coastal area as well as Maine. So it's, it seems to be a pretty common variety of kelp. I've just never heard of it before. 
Um, one interesting little bit, I guess, that I have to add to this story. I have one in my fridge at home. Not necessarily this exact beer, but I've got one called Umami Monster from Garage Project. Have you seen that one before? I haven't, but I Garage Project I've heard of. Yeah, so this one is uh, brewed with uh, New Zealand-grown kombu, which is kelp, and Japanese katsubushi, uh, which is dried fermented bonito flakes. So it's got like a, it's called Umami Monster. It's supposed to just be this really heavy hitting 9% ABV beer that is almost fishy. I ex- I haven't opened it yet. I'm really excited to open it, but it's supposed to be like this really uh, oceanic, flavorful umami bomb. Uh, most of the photos that we have here on Untapped have people eating it with um, like a pork ramen which I could assume would kind of hopefully be a little bit of a balanced out. It sounds like a lot of umami flavor, oh, but man. I'd please be selfish with that, but I'm kind of hoping you aren't. <laughs> I might, uh, maybe I'll have to bring that in for one of our episodes. You, here. you don't have to, but <laughs> if you're feeling generous, <laughs> I'm yeah. Okay. All right. All right. If we need I'll to side by it. side with ramen, we can have some brought in. Yeah. It does. It, not too many ratings for this particular one, but I'm, I, I'm excited to try it. I, and it's, it's very interesting because I would be more than willing to try this, but, I will say, like, the initial thought of, like, kelpy beer. Seems like the sea saltiness. I mean, sure, sour salty of the goza I get, but, like, ocean salty. And, I mean, having grown up next to the ocean and spent many, many days at the beach, I I know exactly what that, like, lingering saltiness is. Like, I can can taste it just thinking about it. So that would actually be quite satisfying. So maybe we'll have to try and figure out where we can get this. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds really good. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, well, speaking of fish, we've got another article from NPR.org here that is talking about feeding fish and helping to save the planet with beer, I assume. Not necessarily with the uh, final product of beer, but okay. with the byproducts. Okay, interesting. So, as, as we know, um, beer does have quite a bit of um, by, wasteful byproduct. Um, you've got the spent grains, um, the runoff water, um, all that stuff. So there's a brewery and distillery in Westfield, New York, known as Five and Twenties. Um, they're actually using the byproducts from their brewing process to feed perch, uh, bass, catfish, and trout. It, it, as you can imagine, all that waste that the breweries have to get rid of, it's not free to just dump. You can't just throw it out the back door and forget about it. You do actually have to pay for it to be taken away. And that cost was um, adding up to almost six figures for the brewery. Wow, that's incredible. You never really think about what to do with the stuff that's left over after you're done brewing. You're just thinking, hey, I'm going to sell the beer. It's going to be great. And then you end up with all this stuff. I have seen, I know you're probably not going this direction with this news article, but I have seen uh, some breweries who create a bakery and then use the spent grains to make things with it, either uh, like granola bars or uh, bake with them, things like that. It's It's a cool way to kind of reutilize those ingredients for stuff yeah and to try and halt some of that waste um, yeah uh, right i know i've seen it around and i know more than one place is doing it but i mean it, it just makes sense from a perspective of a brewery not only are you saving money but you're kind of saving waste and all that stuff so for this specific brewery though those those grains and all the waste that they are creating is actually just taking a few yards out the back door ironically from throwing it out the back door um to a system that they've constructed with plastic cubes um, where the material gets composted um, by microbes and vertebrates and slugs and all that good stuff. And then all of that ends up getting dumped into the fish tanks, which feeds the fish. 
And now we come full circle back to the goal for the brewery and distillery is to eventually harvest the fish that they are raising and serve them in their on-site restaurant. So more hydroponics, I guess. More <laughs> in, <laughs> more, more factory uh, fish farming here in the beer industry, which you would never expect. Exactly. And then we can cut in a circle of life right here. Right, right. I'm not, nah. I'm not, I'm not even going to try it. It'll no. get butchered. <laughs> Have you seen the Google commercial uh, where they where they have that? It's like Google Play my uh, uh, my well, wake up playlist or whatever, and it starts playing oh, the, the Lion King. It's be... so good. It's really good. If I wasn't worried about that pissing off everyone else in my household, I would try it. <laughs> well, that's really cool. I can imagine that if this works out, that some people will take notice. And I, I we've I've seen stuff around about other breweries that are doing other interesting things with their waste, and you know, it it's just it makes sense. Find a way to use that, and um. Just get all the benefits you can out of it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this next article here from vinepair.com. <clears throat> it says a Brooklyn scientist and his two headed monster are turning craft beer into whiskey. Not an actual two headed monster, not the umami monster we were actually we were talking about previously. <laughs> uh, this is this is something a little different. Arcane Distillery is a name, and it's headed up by Dave Kyregko, an engineer by training. And Arcane's line of beer whiskeys, never heard of that term before, beer whiskeys, known as Lone Wolf, represents the coming together of his three major passions, which are beer, whiskey, and science. That's, I, I got two, two out of three for that. I'll, I'll go three for three on this. Okay. All right. And it's kind of, I guess, like a, a boozy trifecta for Dave here. Um, so this micro distilling venture has been operating since June 2017 using a towering two-tiered vacuum still made up of bubbling glass orbs, coils, tubes. It sounds like a, like a mad scientist's like, laboratory here. I can imagine the lightning bolts coming down to power the thing. I've never seen a, a distillery in action. I assume that these can be pretty tall, these vacuum chamber type things. Uh, it depends. I mean, it depends on if you're doing commercial or... If you're a moon shining out in the boondocks. <laughs> okay, true. That is true. Uh, it's basically, the according to this article, it's basically the coolest chemistry set you've ever seen. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I've heard that cleanliness is also important in, in distilling. And so a lot of like the outsides of these distillery um, equipment and stuff, they just look pristine. They're shiny and coppery and it just looks really, really cool. Very sciencey on the inside. Oh yeah. And it, depending on the material that the, um, the stills made out of too has a huge effect on what the outcome is going to be. So Why? Why, why are they doing this, it says. Uh, because it turns delicious craft beer into equally delicious craft whiskey. So oh. that's, what Dave, that's what Dave is doing here. He's turning not, 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 wine, what, not water into wine, but he's turning, he's turning beer into whiskey. Now, I know we talked about this before. Um, we've seen a lot of trends lately with beers being aged in liquor barrels. And then in more recent times liquor being aged in beer barrels that had beer that were aged in liquor barrels if we just want to keep going down this path it's yeah but the meta, idea meta, of, meta 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 the idea of like an ipa whiskey or whatever it is um you know i there are multiple brands that are starting to do that so i know it's a thing that way but that's that's a, that's just where it's aged in a barrel so it sounds like there's some increased interest of the distillers and and the folks who are making uh whiskey and hard alcohol to learn more about the beer making process to even in this case, start using some of the ingredients 
directly from the beer making process to then turn that into hard alcohol. So I think the interesting piece of this is that uh, Arcane isn't necessarily, they're not doing any sort of aging, that it has nothing to do with the barrels. It actually has to do with the distilling process. So uh, that process basically starts with the mash and the tin, you heat it up, um, the vapors are collected at the top, they trickle down, they're cooled, they turn into your pure liquid alcohol. Um, That's the gist of how it works. Um, A lot of the essence is kind of burned off in the process. A lot of what you end up with is just this super strong, almost rubbing alcohol sort of um, liquor. And then a lot of the essence of that comes in the aging process where you actually like put it into a barrel and it soaks up, you know, the essence of what used to be in there. But in this case, using his, um, his engineering skills and love of science, he's built this um, vacuum sealed still in which um, all of the actual like essence of the beer is kept when it when the vapors are boiled up and and caught at the top which basically gives it all of the essence of the beer that it's being made out of without actually having to worry about like aging it it's an entirely different process something that's just never been done yeah so it says in this article that he aims to preserve the more beerier aspects according to the article beerier aspects of this liquid uh, so it, it makes it more akin to the delicate, fragrant, and nuanced brew that it began as. So trying to get it to be you know, more of those nuanced beer flavors that, that you can expect. And maybe it's less harsh. I would be really interested to, to try this because it may be a nice bridge between the beer flavors that I already know I enjoy and the like scary, potentially disastrous results of trying whiskey that I don't like and then not being interested in it. This is true. And it, it's, it, I would venture to guess that it, it's going to be a lot more interesting for us beer folks than some of those like barrel aged, um, attempts at like a, an IPA whiskey or whatever. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Less, less straightforward in the, um, IPA style attempt of just, Let's just add hops to it and make it taste like it's lawnmower juice. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, it would be really awesome to be able to try this. Um, we'll have to look into it. The only downside is, is that it's a small production. It's limited batches. And as it's been growing in popularity, which unfortunately we're spreading word now, and maybe we should just keep our mouth shut, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's becoming harder to, harder to pick up. Um, I believe it's out in New York um, and uh, currently kind of being distilled in a um a shared space with a brewery um but gotta we gotta look into this yeah yeah we will all right so let's move on to our next story here uh lyft the ride sharing app is partnering with a brewery on beer that comes with a discounted rate for your next lyft ride so starting on january 18th which was which for us was a while ago uh chicagoans will be able to buy lyft's five-star lager now lyft isn't the one brewing it but it's called Lyft's Five Star Lager, and it will land you a 60% discount on a Lyft ride home. Sounds like a really cool promotion to, to be running, especially for a place that you want to get home safely. When you're going out to drink, you want to make sure you get home safely. It seems like a, a nice synergistic relationship. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It, it really is a no-brainer, yeah. Local craft beer brewing Baderbrow is rebranding their Munich Hell-style lager, currently called Southside Pride to five-star lager, the Lyft five-star lager. Bars will be able to sell the 12-ounce cans of beer 
at bars and you'll be able to pick them up there and enter the discount code and get a 60% off right on Lyft. Pretty cool. No, this this is a um this is a really good idea. It makes perfect sense and I just I'm surprised I I'm surprised that this is just now catching on. Yeah. Yeah, I <clears throat> I would love to see more breweries partnering with ride-sharing companies or partnering with folks who can get beer drinkers home safely. Uh, doesn't need to be co-branded beer. It doesn't need to be in a can, but hopefully making sure that their patrons make it home safely. I think this is a really cool way to do that. Now we're going to take some time to answer your questions in our Ask Untapped segment. Do you have any questions for us? Well, send it over with the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and your question may wind up on the show. All right, Tim, we've got one question here from Philip S. on Facebook. This was actually asked during our live stream that we had on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Their question is, any chance you guys will do a seller app? I have heard this one asked quite a few times. Yes. Especially when we did the the complete redesign of Untapped that launched about a year ago. We got a lot of questions about how can I put my seller into Untapped? How can I manage it? Are there new features for sellering? Mm-hmm. It's been kind of a long, long time coming and a long, long answered, long asked question. Yes. And with uh, multiple seller apps out there, um, I know people are hoping to condense their usage. There's a short answer and a long answer to this one. A short answer is we do not currently have plans to create a standalone seller app. But the longer answer, uh, which is more positive, uh, is that with our version three, we have revamped the lists. Um, previously, we only had a wish list in the app in which you could add beers to and hope that you find them and check into them, much as a wish list would be used for. But now we've expanded that functionality so that you can have as many lists as you want um, with the goal of creating a list for whatever you need to do. Whether it's to continue adding to your wish list or to perhaps uh, make a list of things you want to bring to a bottle share, or in this case, what you have in your cellar. So to get to this feature, you want to tap on your profile tab and then scroll down to lists. You can add, you can see the list that you have there in your profile already. You'll have a wish list. You can also add new lists from that view. Once you've created a list, you can then add new items to that list and add seller-specific features to each of those items in the list. Once you add a beer to one of these lists you've created, it will prompt you to enter in some additional details that might be useful for the sellering side of things. Right. So we've got things like quantity, serving style, purchase date, purchase location. The cool part about this, though, is that if you add these beers to a list into your what you would call seller um, you can then hit check-in from those beers and it'll add that information as stuff like purchased location. Additionally, when you check in, um, if something does live in one of your lists, you'll be prompted whether or not you want to remove that. So if you want to, say, easily remove um, a quantity from your seller upon check-in, it will allow you to do that. It's a really cool way to just keep track of what you have and make sure that your seller, your quote-unquote seller list is always up to date. Once you've created a list, too, you can share what's in your seller with friends. So if you tap the More button on the top right-hand corner of your list, you can tap the Share List button at the bottom and share your list pretty much anywhere. Yep, the link that you will be provided will take anyone to the uh, mobile web version of your list so they can take a look at it and see what you want and 
maybe they'll pick something up for you. It's it's cool for like social media and, and stuff like that. Just sharing about what you have on hand. I know the uh, sharing is pretty handy, especially when you're getting together with friends. You're gonna have a bottle share. You can throw a few things on a specific list, and then everybody knows what you're going to be bringing and all the details. You can also keep your list private if you'd like to. So if you have a seller list and you don't want to let everyone know what you have on hand, you can make a list private and just keep that to yourself. If you'd like to send in your questions or you've got any feedback for us, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Untapped on all those platforms. And remember, if you've got a question for us, use the hashtag Ask Untapped on all those platforms. Don't forget you can catch another episode of Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast every Wednesday. You can also rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think about our first couple episodes here. Please take a second to do that. It really helps us out. We would appreciate it. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.